You are listening to Space Time Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. Are you pondering what I'm pondering, Pinky? Sure, Brain, but how are we going to find chaps our size? I should somehow, somehow do a Jedi mind I meld meld and I mean, you do so much stuff. We're not going to make it through all 100 of your papers today <laughs> or, or even some of the stuff you've thought about but not written about. But I do know that you've written some stuff about uh, self-representational theories and you've commented on Uriah's book, um, oh, yeah. Studies, last year or whatever I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you had some interesting things to say in there that I wanted to ask you about. Um, so, so our audience can understand <laughs> self-representational theories of consciousness. Why? Well, they haven't understood anything else we've said. We didn't talk about what (laughs) these things we were saying were. I'm not going to define it. (laughs) Oh, but you can. So Uriah, uh, this is Uriah Kriegel's book uh, where he offers a a theory of consciousness, which is kind of in the same family as Rosenthal's higher order thought theory of consciousness and and Carruthers' higher order perception theory of consciousness, only it's a self-representational theory of consciousness in, I guess, it's Brentano it gets associated with this pretty closely, where you've got these mental states that are uh, conscious in virtue of representing themselves. That's the is that we're in the right ballpark now, I think. That's why. Yeah, but and That's but Uriah's Uriah's view. It's a higher order theory. It's a hot hot theory. Yeah. And that's what I was going to push for is that because, but Uriah often presents it in a way that makes it sound like it's not because what he'll say is, look, uh, consciousness, I mean, what it's like to have an experience for the, from the subject. I say, okay, that sounds good. He says, okay, well, that's divided into two components. There's the for me component, and then that's mm-hmm. the phenomenal character or something like that. And then there's the um, uh, qualitative character. And you go, that's interesting. What does that mean? He says, aha, well, you see, every conscious experience has the subjective part in, in common, but every conscious experience will differ from every other one in terms of its qualitative content. And so he thinks that what, what a real conscious experience is is somehow the joining together by a psychological mechanism into a single state, this I am having and the, the, the specific qualitative content so that you get the two joined together in one psychological unified state. Uh, that's, according to him, what a conscious state is. Now, that way of presenting it doesn't make it sound very much like a higher order thought theory because it sounds like what, what the, what the, um, where the conscious experience gets its content or what it, in other words, what is exactly it's like for you is determined by the uh, first order state, which is bound to the higher order self-awareness thing so that if you have a first order representation or state which is red, then when you when the I am in this part you get, gets joined to it, the reason it's red for you, according to Uriah, is because the first order thing is red. And that makes it sound not like a higher order theory because no yeah. intentional content of the higher order state is doing any work. And so that's one of the things I wanted to uh, kind of complain about. <laughs> but anyway, so um, 
what do you what do you think of this kind of divide and conquer move in general? For, for consciousness, I mean. So the move, the distinction uh, between uh, uh, hot theories and, and not not so hot theories. <laughs> no, I mean the, the move between uh, the distinguishing between subjective character and qualitative character. Oh, so I, about- uh, I, I, yeah, so I, I have some fundamental disagreement with Uriah's uh, distinction there. I think that is a distinction to be drawn, uh, uh, but. I don't think that sometimes when he talks about the subjective character of experience, it sounds like he's just saying something that everyone can agree on, namely that um, all of us experience only our own own experiences. Okay, yeah. all of us have some privileged access to our own experiences. Okay, so that everyone would agree with that, I think. Whether they're physicalists, whether they're hot theorists, whether they're dualists, whether they're so the subjective character as the subject Well, I said some schizophrenics might disagree. <laughs> Who? Schizophrenics. <laughs> oh, am I right? Yes. <laughs> I've experienced uh, many other people's experiences <laughs> involuntarily. <laughs> But so if that's what it is, I mean, so th- 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 that's a kind of subjectivity, right? So we have, I don't have the same kind of privileged access to your um, your experiences. So there will be first person data reproducible and all that. They're not, it's not to say that they're private, but you have some special access to them. Uh, you have a point of view that I don't have. Um, and perhaps I could not have, or I could, perhaps I could have it, but I don't have it right now. And and uh, I don't I, I don't undergo your experiences. So you okay, think that's too weak. If that's sometimes it sounds like that's what he means by subjective character. But if that's what he means, it's not mysterious. It does not need explanation. It's okay. just a fact about how we are organized internally. Let me, let me attempt to speak for Uriah here. Not that I uh, agree with him on anything, but so one one thing I, I bet he would say is that this is supposed to be this for meanness or subjective character. Is supposed to be phenomenally manifest in the way that your description of it doesn't make it phenomenally manifest. So your description of it sounds very similar to the way in which each of us is in a spatial location. Each it's just trivial that I am where I am. I'm here, and you've yeah. got your own here. Um, right, right. But it's not phenomenally manifest where I am. You could you could stealthily no. move me to a different location, and I would be unaware. Yeah. But I think for Uriah, it's supposed yeah, to but I don't, yeah. phenomenally manifest this this form. Yeah, but I don't see how that. Yeah, I don't see that how that. Sub, I mean, so I know that he probably means something else, but he, I think he's confusing two notions. Okay, so that's the one notion we just talked about. That is not mysterious. It's just the fact about how we are organized, and it's also not connected to. It's it's irrelevant to consciousness because we know that we have that kind of subjectivity when we are not conscious. So the dorsal stream has exactly that kind of subjectivity. That's why we're talking about properties in egocentric space and uh, all that stuff that's going on in the dorsal stream, right? So there is subjectivity in the dorsal stream when we are not conscious. Okay, so it's not that kind of subjectivity. Then what is it for meanness then? So it's not that. It's not a perspective or egocentric properties. It's It's not that, right? Um, then it could be something like uh, there's some theories called the unified field theories in consciousness uh, of consciousness, which which sort of um, postulates that there is this 
qualitative elements, and not a subjective element, but a qualitative element that all conscious experiences have in common. Okay, so they also have different qualitative as, uh, aspects that they don't have in common. So there's the redness, but then there's also the consciousness stuff. And yeah. it's the consciousness stuff that they all have in common. And maybe that that's what he means, but then it's, then it's a kind of qualitative aspect of the experience and not a fominess. The fominess, you get out, outside of the realm of consciousness, I think. Um, so I think he's sort of switching back and forth between those two notions. And I think it's a qualitative aspect of consciousness that's difficult to explain. The, so, subjective, the subjective part is not difficult to explain. We have already explained that. Uh, by by, by subjective, subjective stuff, you mean egocentric representation. Yeah. Okay, so Which yeah. Which happen with consciousness or without consciousness. We've yeah. not fully resolved it in, insofar as we have not solved the problem of intentionality, but, right, right. Uh, but we, we have an idea of what it might, how it might go. Yeah, I, I think that's right. So, so okay, um, I, but suppose that, I mean, I, I don't know if that's really a problem for Uriah because I think he's, you know, just defining some technical terms and you can, these words have been stepped on in so many different ways. It, it doesn't, they're almost meaningless. So, you know, call it property A and property B. Uh, but there's there does seem to be a difference between, um, well, here's one way that you could try to, maybe you won't like this way of doing it, I don't know. But suppose you, you think that you, you show someone some red and then they go into a mental state and you say, aha, they're, they're, they're aware of the redness. You could ask yeah. them to push a button if there's red or not, let's say. Um, and then you could do that even when the stimulus is masked um, mm -hmm. or otherwise subliminally presented. And so it seems reasonable to conclude that the same mental state was produced in both cases though, right? So I don't think so because I don't think that you can have qualitative blue uh, without the consciousness stuff, what Uriah would call the subjective part. Right. So that's what I was getting at. Why? So that's why not? I mean, why isn't this kind of theoretical well, psycho psychological theorizing model the right way to think about it? It's because the empirical evidence goes against it, right? So we, we, have, we have all these uh, studies in place and what we're accessing uh, when, we, when we're accessing, say, color uh, unconsciously is something different from what uh, we're accessing when we are conscious of it. So, uh, for instance, blindsiders access wavelength uh, primarily. Uh, if, you do, if you do priming, uh, there's, there's some processing, but obviously it's not processing um, that leads to there's less processing in the primary uh, cortex of things like brightness, which is probably processed in primary cortex. Right. Uh, so you get the hue processing, but you get you get some pro you get processing in the primary cortex. Otherwise, you wouldn't get the standard uh, pathway. But yeah. you don't get in enough processing that you actually get the brightness that is part of making it. Well, why doesn't that? That's an argument for graded experience, not for absence of any kind of qualitative element, right? No, but it's an argument against, well, so when we look at empirical studies, it looks like when we do have a mental state that we're not conscious of, uh, it's a different mental state than the mental state that we're, that we, that's conscious. So why is that the case? Well, because the brain processes are different in the two cases. 
the brain processes the, the stimulus in different ways in the two cases. But it has to do it in a way that allows the subject to perform equally well on the task. So with respect to the, because you can have people uh, do hue um, and, you know, saturation, mm -hmm. orientation, you can do all that stuff unconsciously. Yeah. Um, so if you can discriminate hue well, you unconsciously. Can't, you can't do brightness. You can't do bright, so yeah, equiluminosity and those kind of things are harder to do. So, so maybe there's, I, I, but I, okay, so maybe there's some things you can't do. Although I'm not 100% sure about brightness, but yeah, it's well, hard. Yeah, I would, I would like to see uh, studies showing that you could do brightness as well. We need to, we need to take a, a break, and <laughs> when we come back from the break, I want to keep on this point because I'm not super clear on what the, what the, what the generality of Brit's point is that she's trying to make. So there's there's this I like this line of questioning that Richard is pushing and and as I'm hearing it go something like this there's this there's this point that a lot of higher order thought people like to make and it's it goes something like for any any mental state that is conscious that very same mental state or 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 mental states of the same psychological type could also occur non-consciously and I'm and I'm wondering like specific like what exactly Brit, are you denying? Are you denying that there's any conscious mental state that that the very same state could could occur unconsciously or? Yes. Yeah, that fully general negation. It's, it's yes. not. It's not true that there's any mental state that can co that could be either either conscious or unconscious. That very same That's state. Right. And you're gonna say that for propositional attitudes, beliefs, and thoughts. What's that? You're gonna say that about thoughts and beliefs too. Uh, yes. Wow. All right. Okay, so, so let's push on this a little bit because, um, I, I mean, I see what, I see, I think I, I think I see what your general shape of the argument here is. What you're saying is, so you, you see it consciously, you get a certain brain activity. You see it unconsciously, um, you get different brain activity. Um, mm -hmm. And so then that's evidence that there are different states. Yeah. But, but wait a minute, unless you're like a substance dualist, of a really strong sort, of course there's going to be a difference in brain activity that goes along with there being a conscious state versus an unconscious state. Well, sensitivity to different properties even. Well, how, how do you determine states if not if you don't determine them on the basis of uh, brain activity? I mean, the unconscious state, sorry. Well, you can't ask people what it's like. What is it like to have that state? And it's like nothing. It's not, it's not like anything. Right. No, so I the only way that, to determine what but, you could do it by having them perform tasks and then assigning oh, content right. okay. to the okay. state so as, you know. Task and brain activity, right. 
maybe there are localized ways of individuating. Sure. Okay, task as well, of course, yeah, behavior and, and, and brain activity. Yeah, so, so there's the, the role in perception, even independently of the subjective experience of the person. Okay, so I would be convinced uh, that you could have the same unconscious state and, the, uh, and a conscious state and equivalent conscious state if they really could perform the same tasks. I see. Uh, but okay. I have not seen that. I have not seen any studies showing that they can perform the same tasks. Well, like you get stupefact priming in conscious and unconscious perception of, you know, the, 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 so isn't that, I mean, doesn't that suggest something? You get priming effects unconsciously. And, and in fact, you can, you can get change detection unconsciously. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. so, so if you're, if you're shown an array uh, of a bunch of rectangles in a, in a clock formation, and then um, you, one changes, but you say you you deny that you notice a change, but yet you're able to still correctly press a button, which indicates that something happened there. Yeah. Um, well, then it, that isn't that doing the same task you could do if you saw a conscious? Well, it's not enough that you can do one task, right? So that shows, for instance, that chromatic contrast can be detected unconsciously and consciously. So presumably, this is chromatic contrast that they are acting on. Right. You would but have so to that, actually, that all aspects of the uh, mental state would be, so you would have to create tasks for all the aspects. So chromatic that, contrast is just one thing. Why isn't that evidence, though, that there's at least this part of the state which can occur consciously or unconsciously, the chromatic part? Yeah, that's a part of the state. So it's, 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 you can't have the state with just that part in it, right? Uh, yes, but so, but so, all I, I get. So, what you're saying is, you're going to deny that there's any state, full stop, which can occur unconsciously. Although the same state could have parts of it occur consciously and other parts occur unconsciously. Okay, uh, that's the same yeah. part. I mean, the same part could occur consciously or unconsciously. Uh, that's not called a part. That sounds like um, like you can divide mental states up into parts. Um, aspect. Yeah, let's call it an aspect of a property or an aspect of the mental state. So there yes. can be an aspect of the mental state that can occur consciously or unconsciously. Yes. Okay. So I think that's uh, that's good enough for the but um, when the when the state occurs unconsciously, you're going to say it's a different state altogether. So that every unconscious state is just not a mental state or not a state. Oh, it's a mental state, but it's a different one because it's well, not. Why is it mental then? What was that? Why is it mental? What what? Why does it count as mental, on your view? Because I would say it's mental because it has the same kind of intentional properties, qualitative properties, etc. Oh. So what um, makes it count as mental if it occurs unconsciously on your view? Why is it still a mental Because it state? still has, um, it, it, in, at least in some cases, can still have intentional properties. So I think intentional properties is, um, is what makes it mental. So, and I don't think that thermometers have men intentional properties. Yeah, I agree. Maybe maybe this is the direction Richard was pushing in, but I'm guessing that if if David Rosenthal were here right now, <laughs> he would he Isn't would. Isn't that what you named your one of your guitars? <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Do you name your guitars after? Philosophy? No, I was joking. No, 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 no. no I, don't name them. I just don't name them. But um, I, I, I I'm guessing that what Rosenthal would say is that you're you, Brit, are, are playing fast and loose with uh, switching back and forth between the psychological level and the neural level. So the fact that there are these differences in global brain state or even local brain state, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's all sorts of differences, okay. all right. of course. All right. so, what, what matters is psychologically individuated 
and this is what I'm hearing is Richard uh, pushing is, is that, you know, how do you individuate the psychological states? If there's a sameness in intentional content yeah, in the, in that. the conscious and unconscious case, then, um, okay, but I don't think that's the sameness. I think that if they're uh, shown the same stimulus and asked to do all kinds of tasks, so let's say we show them blue, um, and, and we do it one in one time, they're just shown blue, and the other time we make sure that they're unconscious of what, what they're shown, and they uh, do the same tasks, uh, including brightness, uh, task, you know, saturation, chromatic contrast, you know, different uh, luminance contrasts, and so I forth. I mean, blindsiders could do most of those things. No, they can't do very many of those things. They can do uh, the luminance uh, contrast and... There's some color, there's some saturation, they it depends do, on... They uh, wavelength uh, discrimination, luminance contrast. I think they can also... I think they've shown that they can do chromatic contrasting. They certainly cannot do any uh, brightness tasks. They can do uh, orientation tasks uh, and so on, yeah. So, so why did they have to? Why would it have to be the case that it's all of those as opposed to just? Well, because if you show them one stimulus, you, I'm assuming that, that there's a mental state that corresponds to that. Yeah. Stimulus, right. So if we, I'm, I actually deny Dreskin's view, but if we if we took Dreskin's view to obtain, then there would be this flow of information, right? So you you're shown a a blue square, and the mental state will be a mental state that represents a blue square. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't take more information in. It doesn't take leave any information out. Um, but of course, the blueness, of course, is divided up into many, many, many aspects. It has brightness in the conscious case, anyway. Uh, saturation. There's hue, um, and there's uh, perhaps perhaps you have a, a stimulus that has luminance contrasts and chromatic contrasts. And so, if you have this one mental state that's produced by this one stimulus, then they have to perform equally well in all tasks. That, that's, that's what I would say. Otherwise, I don't know how to individuate mental states. They have to perform equally well on all tasks. So, in order to, you would have to say that you would have to be able to do everything that you could do consciously, unconsciously, and then you would say same state. Yeah. That seems like a really stringent... Yeah, that seems overly stringent. But look, some, someone like, uh, you know, uh, David Rosenthal or I suspect Bernie Bars, who's got a slightly different theory of consciousness, but still I think is going to allow that one in the same state can be both conscious or unconscious. They're going to they're going to say things like, look, in, in the case of a conscious state, here's one thing that here's one performance difference. It's reportable. You can report on the uh, uh, the, the occurrence of the, of the state. And in the other case, you can't. And it seems to really stack the deck against them to require that for state okay, individuation. Okay, fair enough. If you include reportability, I, I so I, yeah. So, um, so I was talking about task, and of course, if you take reportability to be one of the tasks, uh, I should not count that against them, and I wouldn't do that. But I would count it against them if they do not perform equally on the brightness tests. Right, because that's one of the features that is, is that is not processed sufficiently in uh, in the unconscious. So processing. I wonder if we could take to get at this and from an information theoretic standpoint, uh, not information, but signal detection theory. I'm sorry, you confused me by saying Dresky. I was thinking about Dresky for a second, uh, and how sad it was that he died recently. But anyway, um, so if you take a signal detection pr approach, and you, you do you know about D prime and this kind of stuff? I mean, 
Um, mm-hmm. So D prime is a measure of signal to noise. Yeah. Um, you treat the person as a channel. There's a mathematical method for computing signal. It's basically yeah, yeah. hits the false alarms, right? So all that, okay. Uh, yeah, you ask them afterwards, like, yeah. So if you calculate, so suppose that I want just, I'm just asking a question to see how far, like if you're going to stick to your guns on this, but suppose you have two people um, performing a task um, equally well, whereby what I mean by equally well is D prime comes out to be roughly the same uh, Uh within statistical limits, um, you know, significant limits so that they're performing the task equally well comparing hits to false alarms. um, uh, But one person is doing it while conscious and the other person is doing it while the simile is being presented un- sub- subliminally, wouldn't the equalized D prime score be strong evidence that you have the same information, therefore the same states in some sense? Yeah, for, for that task. For that task. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. So, I mean, but, so then I think that you do, so you can get cases like that, um, but not maybe not for every aspect of the... And so that's simile. where I'm objecting. But why is but why do you so suppose that you have just two people they're looking at the a grading a, a Gabor patch or whatever those things are called you know those yeah. those little like yeah. patches and they're oriented in different directions one person's being it presented it consciously the other subliminally they're both equally good at pressing a button saying which direction it's oriented in one person says I didn't see nothing but they're reliably getting the same D prime score as the other person says I see it right there isn't so that seems like that's that to me, I say. Well, what what do you say about that? If you don't say that there's a state in there that has the same, that one's unconscious and the other's conscious, but it has the same intentional properties, at least to the extent that they're able to press the button. That this, there's something that's driving the button pressing. The uh, mental state that in 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 a narrow sense like that. So it's so the mental state is just the stimulus and its orientation. Yeah. But. Yes, and then you 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 do get something. You 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 do have to go hot in that case, but but that's that's an artificial way of individuating mental state psychologically. I think because there's a lot more going on. And how is education supposed to make me feel smarter? Besides, every time I learn something new, it pushes some old stuff out of my brain. Remember when I took that home winemaking course and I forgot how to drive? That's because you were drunk. And how? So I don't, so again, I disagree with Dreska's theory, but I think it's informative in this context because there's a certain flow of information from the stimulus uh, and that's being processed by the brain, right? And there's, there's, um, and and on his theory, it's 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 uh it's exactly those aspects that are present you know are presented to you by the stimulus right. that sort of enter the mental state, and and so you you can't just have a stimulus that only shows orientation. I right. mean, in a normal if you have normal uh, ordinary individuals, there are people with type two blindside who get but, something like that, but. If you have ordinary individuals, then uh, you cannot have just orientation, right? It's right. like saying you have a stimulus that's just moving, but it doesn't have color, or right. it doesn't have extension, or... Well, there are some weird cases where people say stuff like that, but then I want to get distracted by that, but... 
the stimulus, you're, you, you're not trying to refer to the, uh, some state of the nervous system. The stimulus is no, something No, stimulus is what's outside. Yeah. yeah, and of course it, it, has, it, it has all of these properties all at once. But yeah. I, I'm trying, I, wanna, I still have my Rosenthal hat on, and I want you to respond to Richard <laughs> without descending into brain talk or talking about information. Yeah, I haven't talked about the brain for the last, I think, 10 minutes. It's quite funny. <laughs> now, I'll rewind the tape. About 30 seconds ago, you talked about information. That's not the brain. No, it's not the brain. brain. You said brain. That's actually a, a, one of the problems with Jessica's theory is, is that it doesn't involve enough brain. Not, I agree. More brains, baby. <laughs> That's I'm saying too much brain. <laughs> too much brain. Oh, no. I thought well, we were saying, friends, man. I'm, but I'm still David Rosenthal. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He okay. likes the brain. And with the power invested in me as David Rosenthal, I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Keep it psychological. So, wait, Pete, is your point that you can the, prop, the stimulus itself has all these things, but maybe the mental state just represents it in terms of orientation or something? Is that where you're going or no? Yes. But I, I want an explanation of that because that seems that seems extremely odd. So you you have so the stimulus has all these features that some organ in between this mental state and those. When you say organ, do you mean the brain? <laughs> I was trying to. <laughs> <avoid that. laughs> so, but I mean, here, here's some psychological stuff. Yeah. That, I just now got one. I, I'm a little slow. I was thinking about what she was saying. That's funny, Britt. <laughs> I missed it. Was there a sexy joke? No, it was the some organ thing. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I just went in the gutter. Sorry, everybody. No, she was uh, trying not to say brain because you accused her of anyway. The pineal gland. <laughs> so um, from, my, from up on my psychological mountaintop, I, I talk about thoughts and uh, beliefs and I can believe that there's a guitar on my wall without having any belief at all about what its orientation is or what its color is. So at least with, with uh, the propositional attitudes like thoughts and beliefs, we can get these really super sparse or coarse-grained. Oh, yes. That, that's the good thing about beliefs. I mean, that's very lovely, a lovely thing about beliefs that you can get these very sparse uh, mental states, yes. So once we move to beliefs, I, I will agree with you. But then, but now I want to uh, now I do want to invoke the brain because now there's strong evidence, really strong evidence against there being um, there really being any unconscious beliefs. Yeah, they're mostly dispositional. Well, but they're unconscious thoughts, though. I mean, they're unconscious thoughts. There's no evidence against that. Well, let's let's, let's just talk belief for now. Yeah, belief. I don't know what it's about. Yeah, beliefs are, I mean, that beliefs that are not occurrent are distributed uh, across the neocortex. Yeah. You're just so not going to stop talking about brains. They're broken up into fragments, and they're distributed throughout the neocortex. I highly doubt that, that they can really have intentional properties, or if they can have intentional properties, perhaps defined in uh, Dennett's sense, then it's clear. It's just clear from looking at the brain that they're, they're not the same mental state for the belief. So what about thoughts? We, we settled belief. Move on, let's move on to thought. What are thoughts? Uh, well, I don't know if we settled belief. You, 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 you dip, you're just not going to stay out of the brain. I just want the record. Well, I can't do that for belief because it's such a, such a really strong point that everyone must accept that you cannot possibly say that. You, you see, you can't even act on those beliefs without the brain putting them back together. Yeah, they're not stored in it like as a sentence somewhere. I mean, they're distributed. No. They're distributed. Yeah, so what? I have, I have a belief about what the first four digits in the decimal expansion of 
of pi is. And until earlier today, that belief, uh, you know, was mostly unconscious as far as my, uh, my uh, story of today goes. It's conscious right now. I'm thinking about those first four digits. It's a conscious belief. Prior to a few seconds ago, I was try I was thinking about right. your brain. So right now you're putting the, the hippocampus is putting all the pieces back together again, and when you when you uh, leave it alone, it's uh, the hippocampus is not putting anything together. It's just sitting around here and probably mostly up here. But those are just yeah blah 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 implementation details. So right, there's, there's your brain is doing a bunch of different things. Blah, blah. I don't like this cavalier attitude towards brains, man. But look, here's a brain way of putting uh, Pete's point to Brit. How, why are you so um, uh, sanguine about the possibility that this distributed stuff isn't intentional? So okay. Why, so I, how, I, I, and, and here's a way to sharpen that point. How is the hippocampus putting together things which are not intentional to produce something which is intentional? So how the bits have to be have intentionality somehow in order to be put together to form something that is intentionality. Say again. They have pre-intentionality, or as you is as as Richard would like to call it, he would like to call it uh, dispositional intentionality or something. Okay. Because you you use the term dispositional belief. Yeah. Right. So, but isn't that just your way of saying I'm going to put a prefix on this because I don't think it's real intentionality? I mean, what reason is there to think that that's not real intentionality, just in bits? I mean, like a, like the way a computer stores a JPEG, you know, okay, so it, it may be all over the computer distributed, but the information is still, if you don't run a disk cleanup utility, it may be a part in the, over here and a part over here, but they're all... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not too, um, I'm not too attached to the idea that the fragments could not have intentionality. I mean, they are connected after all. That's yeah. that's what uh, long-term potentiation is, is exactly. to connect them, right? So they're connected, so I'm not too attached to that idea. But they obviously also are connected to uh, ways that affect our, our behavior. Yes. Uh, because we know that from implicit biases, which presumably are implicit beliefs, which can affect our behavior uh, without us retrieving that belief. So oh, that's interesting. So you think an implicit belief is one that affects behavior without being reconstructed by the hippocampus? Is that what yeah. you just said? I mean, uh, it's possible anyway for uh, these uh, neural networks connected by um, having strengthened uh, synapses can also be connected to how you're dispo disposed to act without any retrieval being necessary. So, so that the, is not to say that you never retrieve them. Right. But I'm just saying that I, I, I think that there are connections to behavior. So then, because there are connections to emotions, we know that, and we know that there are connections from emotions to behavior. So, yeah, that's pretty much. So, so, so then I'm losing the train of your argument though, because I thought what you were saying was these things are stored in a distributed manner. They're reconstructed by the hippocampus. Therefore. The distributed stuff is not a real thought. Uh, doesn't have intentional properties until it's reconstructed by the okay, hippocampus. Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want to necessarily say it doesn't have intentional properties, but I do want to say that it's not going to. Um, it's a belief. Same kind of performance. So if we, uh, so now I will uh, put the Rosenthal hat on you. <laughs> That's an Rosenthal hat on me. <laughs> <laughs> it does not. It it. It does not lead to the same kind of performance, right? 
Right. I mean, I can't, I can't recite pi to the um, 400th or 500th decimal point without retrieving the information. So that's a task I can't complete without retrieving the information. But the implicit beliefs actually seem much stronger um, and have more of an effect on behavior, especially when you talk about implicit uh, biases towards women against minorities. Um, th those things ha seem to have strong and powerful reach outside of the realm of consciousness. And it looks like, to me, you'd have to invoke the same kinds of properties that you would to explain that, how that works, it, to take it seriously, that you would have to explain the conscious ones. Whether they're, and this is now getting to Pete's point, whether they're distributed or arranged in the brain as X's or O's or little uh, LTPs or whatever, that's implement, implementation. The way you describe the system um, when you're theorizing from the psychological level, you have to assign these attentional contents in order to explain how they're connected to behavior in the right way. Yeah. Now, now so Pete, does that make you happy? We're away so from happy. Brain. <laughs> I'm skeptical that the performance will be the same in the two cases. But again, I would I would look to empirical evidence to uh, see that. Yeah, but so here's a, here's a way that they're different, though. So the implicit beliefs have a stronger effect on behavior. In some than, cases, yeah. In some cases. So now that if, you're, if your criterion is, oh, well, you should be able to do the same in all cases, well, then, you know, you can't. Because here are these implicit ones that are sort of recalcitrant and are working outside of your awareness, but yet they're very powerful, very potent. And so that shows that, uh, that the theories of consciousness are not so hot after all. They're not so hot. Was what that a con? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, so but, but I, well, mainly what we, Pete and I are trying to, to see if you're going to disagree with is that there ha in order to account for behavior, you have – it's reasonable to appeal to intentional states that aren't conscious and that have the same okay, properties I, as consciousness. I, I'm fine with that, sort of in a indented sense of intentionality where you, you base it on performance on tasks. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would don't like Dennett, so I would disagree. I don't know what the Dennett stuff is doing there. You're saying that we have to look at the task performance. But why doesn't this give us a really good reason to think then that when we – so here's the, a person like me is going to say, aha, well, you do this stuff, you figure out what it is you're trying to talk about the psychological level, and then you open up the brain and you say, where is that stuff in there? Um, and to me, it seems like, well, what your argument shows is where that stuff is in there is like spread all over the place. But still, that stuff is just implemented in a way that turns out to be surprising. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's because it's in – it's fragmented and distributed all over the brain that we don't perform in the same way, usually. Right, and so to me, I, I modus tollens that as opposed to modus ponens that, and they say, aha, well, therefore, performance in the same way is not required for same content or for similar content or intentional properties. Or so what, does, what is required? So if it's not brain stuff, it's not performance, what is then required for same content? Well, so here's one way. So I don't know. So I think it's kind of you start with the stuff that we were talking about with Gabor patches and stuff, and then you get some kind of limited evidence that with respect to orientation of Gabor patch, you could have the same intentional properties occur consciously or unconsciously, and that seems to have a connection to behavior. Um, and so you're, I think you're right that that's just that's a very limited thing. It doesn't show that the whole state is that way. But then I think you make a generalization from those kinds of cases to your psychological theorizing um, in general, which is that, uh, well, gee, if this intentional property could occur consciously and also unconsciously, and it has the same effect on behavior, roughly speaking, then what, in principle, reason is there for thinking that you couldn't have the whole state occur unconsciously? Well, but the empirical evidence that we have seen so far suggests against that. So, but, but you interpret that in a certain way. So you're already, I mean, 
Because like we've been saying, we can interpret that empirical evidence as on board with what we're saying. So that, then I'm, I'm questioning what, what, I mean, how do you individuate those mental states? So by task? So each task corresponds to a mental state? No, but you, you're trying to pick out some property. So, you know, uh, one thing that you do as a creature is you move around your environment. And so I don't bump in the tables and chairs and I know where my cup is and so forth. And so how do you explain that? Well, we, we theorize that maybe there's some properties that are in the mind called representations, which... Help you. Well, that's that. true. There are also stream representations, which you use all the time when you pick up your cup and. Exactly. So, so we're extrapolating from that kind of stuff. You know, what can the per so it's not that for every task there's a and maybe the for every task there is a mental state, but the point is that you 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 pos posit these things um, as a way of explaining what the creature can do, how it's why it's sensitive to this range of stuff and not that range of stuff. Like, how come you shine UV light at me and I can't discriminate it very well? Well, okay, because probably there are no properties internal to me which track those things very well. Yeah. Um, so that seems, and then, so that's a case of how you explain the creature's responsiveness to its environment. Um, and then you sort of realize, oh, well, sometimes the creature is conscious while it's doing that. Sometimes the creature is unconscious while it's doing that. It's performing similarly in both cases. So you just kind of extrapolate uh, that the reason it's performing similarly in the unconscious case is because that bit, that intentional thing is there. And then, the, the, and I thought you wouldn't even, that, I thought this would be less controversial. The real controversy is when you go to like things like blue, qualitative character, which is what got us into this mess. Right. But, because then I say you just get the same argument. If you can discriminate blue from red consciously or not, then it seems like the property of the brain, which is allowing you to do that, can be conscious or unconscious. And it's the same property. So, but, but see, I'm, so I'm, I'm too attached to the evidence against us. So... So it's, it's, it's shown again and again that when uh, we actually do perform the same task, we, do them, we don't perform the same way on them. So we perform the same task, right? You consciously think about how to ride your bike, or you ride it after it became, becomes automatic and internalized. All these are different things. Okay, what about, um, you know, the do's emotional responses. So the do's uh, argued for the two emotional streams. Yeah. So it's very, both both are pretty good for adaptation purposes. But anyway, so so there's a fast and a slow stream, right? And the slow stream uh, is involves consciousness and the fast stream uh, does not. It bypasses the, the prefrontal cortex and, and leads us to, to fast reactions. So our performance is different in the two cases. With, right. uh, the same with dorsal stream versus ventral stream, performances are different. Um, so, I, I'm, so I'm yet to be convinced that we can have the same mental state unless you individuate it in a very artificial way that can be conscious and unconscious. And that's why yeah. you should not 
So, so, okay. so can I just try one more time? And because the, Pete mentioned some of this earlier uh, before he became anti-brain. Um, but so <laughs> that's the first like, time I've seen uh, Pete become anti-brain. Actually, yeah, well, it's because he's under the influence of Rosenthal. <laughs> <laughs> the because it's, it's true. David wants to talk start with psychological theorizing, and then yeah. they talk about how that psychological it, theorizing. The I, never, I never thought as you def uh, that I would have to defend the brain against Pete. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, right? <laughs> So, but here, here's a a brain way of doing it. So, you know, um, suppose that you think that uh, certain states have to be activated to a certain above a certain threshold before they can become part of a global network. Okay, so this uh -huh. is bar, bars this type of thing. So uh, maybe that you know what the threshold is. Whoever, who cares what it is or what physical thing it is. But say say there's a threshold below which you don't make it into the global workspace or you're not accessible, uh, above which you are accessible, etc. Okay, so now think about this particular set of neurons doing whatever they're doing, like right just below the threshold. So that yeah. if they cross that threshold, they're, in the, they're conscious and they're in the global workspace. But right at, just below that threshold, what reason is there for saying um, that that's not the same state? If, if it just fires a little bit stronger, then it gets broadcasted. I mean, the firing strength or whatever, crossing the threshold, whatever it is, doesn't seem like that significant. Because it uses properties that, uh, that requires that you actually cross the line, you have to cross the finish line to get brightness, for instance. So brightness is, yeah. is crucial. That's been shown in, in many cases, um, at least in one paper. <laughs> I don't know how many cases, but uh, brightness <laughs> seems to be uh, brightness seems to be something that is, at least for visual experience, is very important for um, for for conscious experience. If you don't produce brightness, you don't you don't get a conscious experience, uh, and um, and that's uh, part of the reason we are. With some of us think that that's part of the reason that blindsiders don't have any conscious, visual conscious access to the things that they can report on. Interesting. So, so your view then is the dorsal stream is all unconscious and the ventral stream is where consciousness is. Oh yeah, and yes. Just have different contents. They're 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 they don't even maybe encode in the same format or something or. Oh, they don't encode encode in the same formats. Um, I think that. Um, Milner and Goodell showed that pretty effectively. Yeah. yeah, they don't encode in the same formats. Uh, of course, stuff that goes on in the ventral stream can also be unconscious, uh, clearly. But yeah. but the the dorsal stream, we don't have access to that. We have access at most to the very lower regions of the dorsal uh, the yeah the dorsal stream because it starts in the V one. I know. So I may we're just beating the same dead horse, but since I mean we've got to wrap this up, but yeah, you know, switching the synesthesia really fast. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you get like pop out effects from synesthetes, right? Um, uh, so if you show them a certain number, if they have grapheme, whatever that's called, digit. There's a small group of synesthetes for that for which that is true. Yes. That is okay. Um, and then so for the ones that isn't true, when they uh -huh. when you present them the number. Uh, or the stimulus, whatever it is that per, that's paired with the a color experience unconsciously, then you're going to say they don't. There's no also qualitative property uh, that that's just not there. That's something that only occurs consciously. So that, for 
well, so if there's not a pop-out, um, that doesn't mean that that they can't search and get the become conscious of the graphene. Right. I just mean when it's not conscious, though. Yeah. So when they're not when they're not conscious, uh, presumably they. Uh, well, it's a good question. Did they did they pick up on any of that information or not? But at least it's not it's not well, popping out, right? So you not, could test that though, right? Because what if they were showed priming effects for the color associated with that number? Even when they say that they weren't conscious of it, then wouldn't that be some kind of evidence that the, I mean, that there is these unconscious qualitative states? Yeah, I mean that that this well no, not qualitative states. I would just say that if the, if you there's some if you could actually um, get them to perform on their synesthetic abilities, let's call it that, mm -hmm. um, that would just show that that there are unconscious state, so there's a certain maybe representation of wavelengths and maybe even some hue processing, but there's not, there might not be brightness. So, so there's information that's lacking in order to, to actually get the fully conscious experience. But of course they well, do but, get it and eventually. But, but I agree that they would lack the fully conscious experience. My claim was just, or excuse me, my question was just why not think that in, there's also the qualitative property that's unconscious, the, the redness that's associated with seven or whatever. It's there. They can, it, they can, it primes them. They can push a button. They say they don't see it. Um, because for it to be qualitative, it, it, I mean, it would have to, uh, as a minimum, be processed in the areas that, that generate qual qualitative features. Mm -hmm. And so, so we would have to look again at the empirical evidence to right. see if that is the case. Um, so whether V4 is active or something? Or, but wait, are you, if it takes a, a secondary pathway, then it's, it's not clear that we have qualitative properties. You're not, but uh, I'm sorry to open such a big can of worms so close to the ending time. Are you, <laughs> are you assuming that uh, something has to be conscious for it to be qualitative? She's been yeah. arguing that for like the last half hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not assuming that. <laughs> She's I have that's the point she's been trying to make. My not so hot theory of consciousness. That <laughs> I don't understand what you mean by qualitative. Then, if you're denying that it's it's qualitative, I'm just saying I'm not assuming it. I'm saying it follows from my theory that uh, that the qualitative properties are conscious, but I'm not assuming that up front. That would be begging the question. But what you had been arguing for is that. You can't have the same things that are conscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it follows from my theory. I was just objecting to the assuming part. But but no, I mean, Richard introduced the, the point about the, the qualitative. It occurs to me that I'm not, I don't know what you mean by qualitative. Yeah. What I mean by qualitative? Yeah. I mean that it is processed in areas of the brain where things that are consciously qualitative are also processed. Right. So I, th I thought we meant what Uriah meant, which is the thing that distinguishes the experience, conscious experience of blue from the conscious experience of red. That, but that's, qualitative that's a, um, but, but, but why is that not just quantitative? Why is that not just wavelength plus something else? That seems uh, to me to back the question. So if you well, take qualitative, the experience be, of red is not a wavelength, it's, a, it's red. And the experience oh, but then, blue, it is, but then it is. Then it does involve consciousness. Yeah, that's my. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Is that um, 
it doesn't matter where it's processed. What a qualitative thing is, though, is simply the thing which differentiates the conscious experience of blue from the conscious experience of red as fr from consciousness's point of view. What's different about them phenomenologically? Yeah. I mean, so that's consistent with what I'm saying, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I thought that was how I thought that was what you had been saying. Yeah. Um, then that's why I was arguing that. Well, then you. It looks like you can make those same kind of discriminations, though unconsciously. And then so I wonder what good reason there is for not saying, "Oh, that's a qualitative property." It's just unconscious. So I mean, this may be just a terminological thing that you just want to define no, qualitative think, in a certain right way. Right, simplifying things. So if you're just talking about distinguishing blue from red, then you're you're mainly thinking about the hue, right? But what, what I want to say is more than that. I mean, I want to say that you, you don't, you don't, a qualitative property is not, brightness is not a qualitative property. Part of the qualitative property, for instance, would be the color, what we call color. A yeah. color has three components. It has brightness, saturation, and, and hue. And so that's, you can't pick them apart and say that's a qualitative property. I mean, you can, but then we have to start the argument all over. Right. Qualitative property has many components to it. I agree. They, so, they don't come apart. I mean, they do come apart unconsciously, but not consciously. You don't, you can't just get, uh, you can't just consciously see the hue. Well, I wonder you need if, to see yeah, them if all that's together. true. I mean, in, yeah. some, in, some, in some experimental paradigms, I wonder if they don't get people to just consciously see yeah. them. But I don't know. These are, these are good questions because I wonder about equal, equal luminance and when you present like these kind of equal luminance kind of... Um, Oh, <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> we gotta go. <laughs> this yeah. is too bad. I feel like we need another six hours to talk more about this stuff because uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. But yeah. maybe we'll have to have you back someday. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe a, uh, a time when we can try to convince Pete that there's such a thing as a brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor uh, Pete. He's the famous brain hater. I got to go. Change the titles of all my papers about neurophilosophy. Well, um, you know, the PNP, it does have psychology before neuroscience. Oh, it's philosophy, neuroscience. Psychology is last, damn it. I'm, yeah, whatever. But uh, th I think this, is, this was a super high-powered discussion. Wow. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Very, very cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was, it was, it was a hot discussion. <laughs> it was super hot. Uh, <laughs> of all the uh, organs. It, it was. It was. Never. Never mind. I. You know, one of the worst things about the higher order theory is that acronym. Hot. I hate it. It's so stupid. <laughs> I wish people would. No offense to anyone here, but I. Yeah. I. I the. The word. The bad puns and paper titles would drive me insane. Like I just wish people would stop doing that. Yeah, I know, I know you can't help it. It's low-hanging fruit, but uh, the one thing I will say, David Rosenthal has never had a pun in the title of his any of his papers. <laughs> you never had hot in the title. He's never had hot in the title. Nope. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good, exactly. It's hard not to play on it. It's hard. I know. It is hard not to. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brett, thanks anyway, again. So this has been super fun, Brett. This has been really yeah. Good thank fun. you. Thank you for listening to Space Time Mind. For more info about today's episode, as well as info about our video series and other supplements, check out our website at spacetimemind.com. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your comments on Twitter at spacetimemind99 or on our blog at spacetimemind.com. And please rate us on iTunes to help spread the word. Until next time, this is Pete Mandick saying...